it's important for me that I'm my own sounding board. When you're a single parent, there are lots of decisions that you make all of the time that you have to be your own sounding board. You can't say, look, what, what do you reckon? What, what do you think about this? And I can talk about it with my mum and dad and I can talk about it. But yeah. fundamentally, as a parent, there are some decisions that you have to make. You'll hear from women, leaders, and mothers who are holding hands as we move through life's greatest transitions. Join us for The Rising. Hello, hello. My conversation today with Amy is incredible because she has four boys so many boys. And she's going to talk to us about why financial independence is so important, even if you're in a partnership. So this is something that comes up a lot for women, right? Um, It definitely did for me when I was a new mom. I wanted so desperately to get a paycheck with my name on it. This is something I wrote in my journal, like that exact phrase. So Amy's going to tell us why those feelings surface. She's going to give us some background on the divorce that she went through, how that changed her mindset around having independence financially, and the things that she's doing to support her boys. She's a professional speaker and a trainer. She has amazing experience. I know you're going to enjoy this episode with Amy. But I was just curious because we talked a lot on our pre-interview about the importance of financial independence, you said, especially for women. So I would just love you to share kind of what your turning point was when you realized that that was such an important thing. Um, For me, it was probably actually reasonably late because my um, story, I guess, is that I was with my ex-husband from 16. So we were childhood sweethearts. So we'd always kind of been uh, dependent on one another in that sense. And then when I, um, when we separated, um, I kind of let him just deal with the finances. He was an accountant. So it just kind of made sense, really. He was the one, he was the, the bigger wage earner. Um, he wasn't at first. We were, we were kind of comparative. But when I had, um, when we started a family, I moved my hours to um, part time. Um, so it just kind of seemed the right I, I don't know. It was, I, I guess, and part of it, this sounds really stupid, but I'd always kind of just gone down this thing. Of, he was really good at maths. Um, and all of my kids are really good at maths because, which is great. But um, I just kind of thought, oh, you know, he, I, I want to say deal with the finances. We had separate accounts. So I had my income, he had his income. We paid money into a joint bills account. But if we needed something, I'd just say to him, can we, can we buy it? And he would say, yeah. So if we wanted something, can we buy it? And he would say, yeah. And then when we got, when we were separated, I realized that he'd lived a very, very strange, almost Walter Mitty-like existence in terms of finances. Mm-hmm. And my share of the debt was about £45,000. Um, so that really made me realize that um, actually I don't want to put my faith in somebody else in terms of finances. Uh, because I, although I was still financially dependent, in, I was fi- financially dependent in a way because I had a fairly good salary. Mm. I'd kind of let this build up without having any idea what was going on Mm. Um, and that really then led to me wanting um, this financial independence for me and to for for my safety for my security Mm. Uh, but also to to make sure that I could always look after my kids without having to need somebody else to be able to do that 
Um, and, you know, I'm very lucky. We had a, um, a reasonably, oh, I don't think any divorce is ever amicable and it wasn't at times, but we had, we came to an agreement. We had a financial agreement in place, which he's since, since contested and it's been reduced down. But I am looking that I do get spousal maintenance because I gave up my career for our kids. He has a much higher earning potential than I do um, because I still, I'm primary carer for four, for four children. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have those children with me 12 days out of 14 kind of is the normal thing or maybe sometimes nine sometimes 10 but they are they live the majority of the time with me um and he pays child maintenance um until the children reach 21 which uh, we both wanted them to go well we both wanted all of our children to be able to go to university so it kind of just allowed for that little bit of um extra uh, flexibility in terms of being able to pay for university accommodation and to have full fees and those kinds of things but financial independence for me i think really hit me when I sat and looked at the figures of what I was facing and saw, I had no idea. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm a fairly intelligent person. I always kind of ran the household bills. Mm-hmm. So this wasn't the, this wasn't kind of like the being able to pay the mortgage because I was the one who dealt with all of that. My dad's our financial advisor. So I dealt with the mortgage, life insurance, house insurance contents. I dealt with um, the everyday bills. I dealt with all the food shopping and all those kinds of things. So I managed all of that. Mm-hmm. it was not knowing what was going on in, on in the background and that made me realize and I would never ever put myself in that position again where I didn't have a full view of those finances and able to kind of be able to support myself within that mm. um, because I just wouldn't want to ever face that scenario again yeah so for women right now who are in a partnership and they are sharing the finances whether they have a joint account or have separate accounts like you mentioned and they're paying yeah. one what do you think is the starting point if because i know for me it's almost opposite in our household where i know a lot more of the ins and outs where my husband is the one that's kind of just like should we buy this now or should we wait for next month and mm-hmm. but if you're that person who's not in all the back end of your finances where do you think is the almost like ease of entry, like easiest place to start understanding that? Or what would you have done differently if you, you know, realized this was a problem in your relationship? Um, I don't know really, because I, I guess it's difficult because he was very good at hiding it. So I was, I was horrified when I realized how much credit card debt we had. Mm-hmm. And it was mainly credit card debt that I inherited. And we'd remortgaged the house, which I knew, but I hadn't realized what we'd remortgaged it for and all those kinds of things. So I think. Um, and it sounds awful because you've got to trust somebody in a relationship with you don't want there to be a mistrust over finances but certainly things in terms of savings in in terms of pensions um always making sure that you're contributing into your own pension in the uk obviously is is, i appreciate in the us it's slightly different but just making sure that you've got that kind of long-term view as well Mm -hmm. because my my view was we would depend on his because i kind of had this vision that Oh, like, you know, when I got married, I thought it was for life. I thought we would be together forever. Um, But, and it's always really difficult because if I, if I was to remarry, I would be kind of like, yeah, no, this is all going to be separate. I'd I'd even have a, um, a prenuptial agreement or something in place beforehand to make sure that we, we left with what we started with at least. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I do, I do all of those things, but probably I don't know, 20 years ago, I'd have said, oh, you don't need that because if you get married, it's for life. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it is really difficult. And it, it's interesting. So the, in the um, network group that I run, we had a, a financial advisor come and talk to us. Mm-hmm. And she kind of, to me, the question that she asked actually 
summed it up quite well. It was, is your man your plan? Mm. And that for me <laughs> kind of made me think, do you know what? If you'd asked me that 20 years ago, I might have seen that actually I was basing my entire financial future on his income and on his earning abilities without yeah. really thinking about it. And I, I did always earn money. And I, um, even when, even after I had my first um, son, when I went back to work part-time, it was 30 hours a week. So it wasn't part, it wasn't a, a small little part-time job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and, and for me, it's, it's kind of like asking almost saying to somebody, look, is your man your plan? Because you might need to rethink that. Mm-hmm. Making sure that you've both got suitable pension pots for the future that, if the worst was to happen and even really simple things like if the worst was to happen and I've had a couple of friends of mine that I guess as I've got slightly older but I've had a couple of friends of mine who passed away mm. and I had one who'd taken care of everything and all the finances were in place and it made such a difference and then another one who really hadn't and the funeral became a burden everything became a burden right. um you know, having to move to a smaller house because they could no longer afford the house on one income, all of those kinds of things, which for me, that, that would be the plan now. Um, And if I could go back, that's what I would do is I would be very much, well, hang on. If you're, if you're investing in your pension, we're investing in mine because I'm not, I've, yes, I've given up work to look after our children, but that doesn't mean I'm giving up on my own future. Mm. Um, So I would definitely do things differently. And I think it is to, is to some degree to ask that question is, is your manual plan? If he is, then you maybe want to rethink that in terms of making it a little bit more equitable. Yeah. And I I think there's something about like a prenuptial agreement that it seems very clinical or like you're taking the romance out of it. And like you said, you're like, this is for life. I don't even need to, you know, think about those things. But I think when you are more communicative in the beginning and you have those things in place, it allows you to take the emotion out of your finances because it's so heavy when you're figuring this all out within a relationship right there's like so many layers to it so to say like money is money and it's not something you can ignore but to just have it as facts rather than that emotion and that way both people are involved right from the get-go yeah absolutely and apologies that's my dog barking in the back (laughs) then one of my children telling her off (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the joy of children and animals and pets and all the rest of it i'm sure um, you'll hear mine at some point as well. <laughs> i'm just waiting um but no but i agree and it is that whole thing of, of kind of thinking about sitting down and creating a prenuptial agreement um and all of that but my my lesson i guess that i would give to anybody who was was starting out and who has kind of like their own financial presence already because mm-hmm. they've worked they've got their own savings or whatever is to make it very clear right from the outset that this is um, that you know things may go horribly wrong. It isn't. It isn't about thinking. Well, you know, it doesn't matter if we, if we get divorced because I've got a prenup in place. That's fine. It's not. It's not that at all. It's about really make, just making sure that you're taken care of mm. um, as much as anything else. Um, and you know, I've got, I've got friends who are going through similar to what I went through, and the finances are the biggest battle. Um, it's a massive battleground if you do separate or do get divorced or if something else happens and something you're not expecting happens and then you have to take family into account as well it's a it's it can be a massive battleground that I think you can avoid if possible absolutely so then how you have four sons so um, especially with the older ones how are you talking to them about 
personal finance and that relationship and transparency? How is that playing into the way that you're parenting and modeling for them? Um, I don't know it. I guess it's just a kind of a gradual education. I mean, my child, my eldest is 17. He is now earning his own money. Mm-hmm. Um, he's saving money, which is fantastic, but he's saving for specific goals. So he's quite goal driven um, as an individual anyway. So he's, um, he's a, a big um, explorer scout. So next year they want to do a trip. He's been to Nepal with them. He went to Nepal with them last year. Um, and next year they're looking at Morocco. So he wants to pay for that himself with the money that he earns only. And this is, this is, he's at college as well. So he's, he's 17. He's doing his A-levels here in the UK next year. And he's then, um, he wants to go to university after that. But while he's studying, he's working in um, a shop. He's working in a, a supermarket. Mm. So he's, he's earning his own money. And every, every month he's saving, he's got a separate account that he saves it into. Um, and hopefully he's learning his, his lessons because he knows, he knows that finances can be really, really tricky. Mm. It's still probably one of the biggest battlegrounds between me and his dad, um, even divorced. Um, it becomes, um, a, it just becomes a, a feeding ground for everything else really, I guess. Um, but financially he knows that, um, and he knows, you know, I'm very honest with him in terms of four kids are not cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a, a, a single parent, so it's four kids and my income, um, which I have to still support a house big enough for four kids. I have to still yeah. feed four kids and four boys eat yeah. like everything. <laughs> they're like locusts <laughs> um and I love them for it but um they they do eat an awful lot and I've got mm. you know I've got 17 and a 15 year old my 15 year old six foot three he eats an adult's meal so I've got you know I've got more adults in the house um and they they kind of you know as they get older they just eat more and more and more and don't stop um so you know and I'm I'm always honest about how you need to how I will save for something to be able to buy something at a later stage. Mm -hmm. So there's always kind of that budgeting factor in mind. Well, you know, I can't do that this month because we've had to spend out for X, Y, and Z. So next month, maybe. Um, So my kids are always going to be growing. We're going to be growing up in that um, environment. And that, you know, the whole thing with finance and money is always a a touch point. Um, And, you know, I want them to be able to do well. I want them to be able to earn a good income but equally money money is necessary but it isn't the be all and end all either mm-hmm. so for me it's them learning the value of money if that makes sense rather than a it's easy to come by b you can spend it as soon as you've got it um or c that it's um you know it doesn't it doesn't have to be everything right. um so for me as a mum, it's really important that my kids see people as equal, whether they've got money or haven't got money, no matter. And I, I'm, a, I'm a big, big believer in equality. So um, it's not that I'm a feminist. I'm a, an equalist, if you like. I don't know if there's, e- I don't know if there's even a term yeah. for it. In my way. I don't know. Um, but for me, it shouldn't matter whether you're black, white, whether you're of different ethnic origin, whether you are... Uh, rich or poor whether you're educated or uneducated everybody deserves a certain respect and a certain um, standard of respect from you until they do something to lose that respect if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so for me it's about raising my boys in in the belief that you know when they meet if when when and if and when they meet a woman or you know another man whatever that is Mm -hmm. whatever that looks like in the future um that they see them as an equal And that that for me is one of the biggest things in that in uh, as part of a relationship is yeah. if you don't see somebody as an equal, if you see see somebody as being somebody you have to take care of or have you have to 
um, you know, treat in a certain way and that you can't treat them as an equal, whether that's intellectually or financially or whatever that is, then mm -hmm. for me, it's a recipe for disaster right from the start. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think that applies across everything. So I'd expect, and my, my, my children, I've always, I've always been told they're very polite. So one of their teachers called them scarily polite. Um, because they're all they are all very polite because I'm a big believer in manners so pleases and thank yous and I'd expect them to hold the door open if somebody um, dropped something I'd expect them to help them to pick it up that kind of stuff so I've always been a big believer in that and um, somebody said something to me about well yeah but if they hold a door open for a woman then that's not then that's shown that they're not equal I was like no that's just polite <laughs> nothing to do with them being a woman or if it was an older couple I'd expect them to open it if we were with my mum and dad I'd expect them to kind of open mm -hmm. the door for them or to hold the door open for somebody or those kinds of little things that I think make a really big difference because it also shows how you respect other people around you if you do those kinds of things for them right. and a please and a thank you doesn't cost you any money whatsoever um and a you know a good morning so if I'm walking the dog I always um you know good morning good afternoon or whatever if, if I cross somebody even if I don't know them it's just it's just nice to make human contact and to be polite and friendly. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't cost you any money for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you're talking about modeling that for them because we, my husband and I talk about that a lot. My son is a toddler now and it's like, you don't really sit your kids down that often and have like a one-on-one -on -one teaching moment. It's that just the way that you are living is the way that they are going to come up and be raised mm -hmm. and thinking about it financially just the idea that you're showing them that importance I think makes a big difference because my husband and I both come from families of four kids as well mm -hmm. but so my family um, which I realized now was like kind of always struggling to make ends meet with four kids but I knew nothing of it so I didn't know anything about money or how to handle money and then on the opposite side of the spectrum, my husband's family was, they had a surplus of money and it was, you can have whatever you want, but still there was no concept of how much things cost. And so it's those two worlds now coming together in a financial relationship. And it's a lot, like I said, with the emotion, because you're bringing in all these things and neither one of us have even have the language to discuss it or even know what we want <laughs> from our finances. Mm. Yeah, so no. That'll make yeah. a big difference for your boys. Yeah, it does. And I think it's one of the, the things that we lack in UK schools is that we don't teach them how to budget. We don't teach them. We teach them maths, we teach them English, we teach them French, Latin, whatever that is. We teach them sciences, but we don't teach them how to live in the real world. Yeah. And I think years ago, generally, if I, if I kind of talked to my mum about finances, my mum my knew the finances for her family because it was in a purse in the kitchen and money went in there that was then separated out almost. So if it went in the tea caddy, it was for that. If it went in the purse, it was for that. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, there was always that, um, it was almost like a family budget because everybody had to understand that what they, what they had or what they needed was potentially a, uh, was, was a cost. And my, my dad, my mum and dad came from quite poor families. Um, my, my grandparents were both minors on both sides. So it wasn't a particularly affluent, um, upbringing for them. I was very lucky. My dad 
didn't become a minor and did something else. And I had a very privileged lifestyle, um, certainly in comparison to theirs and to, to a lot of others as well, to be honest. Um, so I've always been quite lucky in that respect. But because I came from that background, I never kind of took it for granted, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. But one of the, one of the things that I think we, we don't teach our children, and it would only take, uh, you know, a couple of lessons, it would only take a couple of add-on bits, is how to create a household budget what real costs are so how much is a mortgage that so that you know these are the things you have to pay every month Mm -hmm. and then if you've got anything left you can pay for these things as well right um we don't we don't teach our children that at all same as we don't teach them how to change a tire on a car yeah yeah my my dad's financially an absolute whiz he can calculate the um the more a mortgage payment based on a you know on different values he can tell you roughly what you'd be paying in the mortgage based on a different apr which is fantastic but he's not practical so he's never taught me that <laughs> um my mum would probably be or my mum is much more practical in that sense than my dad but we don't we don't teach that in schools mm-hmm. so i i you know i can change a tire but i've never shown my kids how to do it maybe i should right um, <laughs> But, you know, it's just it's that practical stuff that I think is really important. But we tend to gloss it over in terms of, well, we need you need maths, you need English, you need um, sciences, you need, um, you know, you want to do this. You want to go on to university. My eldest wants to do maths and philosophy at Oxford. So, you know, he's, he's kind of reaching really high on an academic level. But actually, the real world of living on a student budget, even. Um, you know, being able to afford rent and be able to afford food and electricity and all the all those other things, and then travel home if you want to come home. Um, that's actually a whole different world, and we just don't we don't teach it enough. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I was I was going to ask, so I'm glad you touched on that because it's the same in the U.S. Is that the when I was in high school, we had one class home economics, and it was like you learned how to write a check, and you learned how to sew a pillow. And like how to bake maybe muffins or something. <laughs> that was, those are the skills that you need, the three skills. <laughs> yeah. Which now even writing a check is somewhat irrelevant, um, not used as much. But do you see the way that it was in your marriage? Do you find that most men, when children are born, most men sort of take over financially and women become the caretakers? Do you find that that? to be true yeah definitely yeah um definitely and i you know i could list all my female friends who are in a similar situation with me with children of different ages and pretty much everyone is the same and even when i was um even when i was married and i was working full-time and my husband was working full-time i was still the primary carer for our children Mm. and still took on the the biggest um load in terms of it was me who did all the washing or the ironing or the um you know food prep or the shopping for food all those kinds of things there was sometimes when we did it he worked quite a lot of weekends to be fair to him so he used to work quite a lot of weekends but when he wasn't working at the weekend and he was home at home in the week he didn't pick up that tab so to speak so he didn't he didn't kind of take over those things yeah. um so yeah i would say i would say it's definitely the case and i think i think the case as well i read an interesting article about it recently and that in terms of where we are now with lockdown mm-hmm. is that that's been the same as well that even though both both people in a couple are working from home it's the, f- the female in the relationship that's tended to take the burden of homeschooling and working their hours around the kids um, much more so, I think. Um, and that is being very general. Um, mm-hmm. That is being incredibly general, but certainly from my experience and that with, the, with the vast majority of my friends, 
it's that's been the case in terms of um as a as a woman you kind of take that backward step within your career or even accept that your career maybe isn't gonna is just gonna stall where it is right so i've got a friend of mine who's an engineer she was really good in a job her, her husband was the same that's where they met they they met there they met at work together um but when they had um children they decided that she would stay at home as a full-time mum. Mm. but i don't think what she'd really thought about was that actually after five years out of that and she had one and then she had another one three years later so realistically she was looking at another few years after that after five years it was very difficult for her to go back because so much had changed um the industry had changed the industry had shifted and has continued to shift so although she's very qualified she did the degree she did the master's she did all of those things she now finds herself where she couldn't actually go back to that that job anyway i don't think she particularly want to now but um, she, I think she'd really struggle anyway, even if it was an option, because it's just too, it's, it's moved too quickly. Um, and I think that that's something that we don't necessarily always think about. Mm-hmm. And don't, I, know, I know lots of people who've gone, who've had a career break for, to raise kids and gone back to work very successfully. Um, but there is, even with those where they're earning a really good salary, earning a salary comparable to their husband's, the, that extra childcare and running the house and looking after the house tends to be what we do now whether that's because that's what they've agreed fantastic if that's what they've agreed yeah but i think what for most of it is is we kind of find ourselves doing it without realizing we're doing it i know i i definitely did yeah um i was i i kind of found myself even when i was working full-time thinking well hang on why am i doing everything i was still doing when i was working part-time <laughs> um i'm still doing as, just as much but i'm also working full-time hours and then some how did that how did that happen i don't understand um so I, but i think i think i i think it does and i don't know i don't know whether there needs to be a solution to that if that makes sense i don't know is is that a bad thing um does it need addressing if it does i don't know what that solution is I think part of it has to, and if you look at some of the Scandinavian countries, I think part of it has to come down to childcare provision. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in the UK, the cost of childcare can be prohibitive to somebody going back to work because they're working for so little money. Right. It's not worth going back to work. Um, I was very lucky because my mum did, my mum was my childcare, so I could go back to work. Yeah. And although I always paid her, she never did it for free, I did always pay her, I didn't pay her the equivalent of four lots of childcare when she was looking after four for me. Right. Um, so I was, I was very, very lucky in that sense. Uh, but if I, if I hadn't had my mum, one, we may not have had more than two children because of the cost in terms of childcare and whether it would have been too expensive for us and I would have had to have given up work completely, which would have been um, difficult for us financially. Um, or I would have been ended up, we would have ended up having to cut back on everything, having to maybe move somewhere smaller, which with four kids wasn't really going to be an option. Um, so I think unless we solve that, and if you look at some of the Scandinavian countries where they have a much more flexible approach in terms of flexi working, in terms of childcare provision, um, then until, I, until you've got that, I don't think it'll ever change. Yeah. Well, and I think that it's maybe not a problem as long as the communication is there. Like you said, it's, did you decide this or this was just sort of the default? And that's absolutely what happened when our son was born is I, yeah, maybe a year later, I thought, wait a minute, what, how did, when did we decide that I was going to stay home or I just sort of happened? And I mean, even I've, I've also seen too, a lot of the article that you mentioned about the lockdown is that women are taking over the caretaking and then also that when we have 
children, it tends to be that we just become the homemakers as well, even if that's layered on top of a job. And my husband and I, when the lockdown happened, we said, okay, we're, we're going to do this right. So we sat down and we divvied up every, you wrote down every task in our home. Like what is everything that needs to get done on a day to day or weekly basis? And then we almost picked it like a kickball team. So it was like, okay, what is the thing that you want to do least? Okay. I'll take that off your plate. And we went from there and, but it definitely is not the norm. I think to have the communication, it, it's the, whatever societal norm is, it's sort of just what you take on. Mm. But I yeah, think, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I think you're right, and that there there needs to be that communication. But I think a lot of us don't because I, I, again, I think sometimes it's you kind of wake up one day and think, how did that actually happen? Yeah. Because I don't think that was my intention, but that's just what's happened. Yeah. Um, same as with you know, I, I I obviously I'm I'm not with my ex husband anymore, but with um, I've got friends who are where they both work earning comparable salaries, and if one of their children is ill yes there's always that battle over well hang on a minute why is my job less important than your job i i need to be there just as much as you need to be there so how are we going to work this um and it's one one of my friends it's her biggest battle with her um husband is that thing of well i i can't have time off the class assembly either so what do you suggest we have to do this equally we have to take it in turns we have to have some flexibility here um and you know equally there's also there's always that thing is that if you're if you're in a relationship where your husband is the main provider and you have chosen to work at home, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, that obviously that changes the, dy- the dynamic again. Um, but what I would also say is that in those scenarios, I would also be really cautious. Um, and I, that wouldn't happen to me again now anyway, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm told I'm not going to have any more children. Um, mm-hmm. But it's that, that dynamic change. Also then, how do you protect your future as a woman who doesn't earn or a woman who potentially walks away from her employment mm-hmm. um, or her career, as long as that relationship stays in place and you, you remain happy, then that's not a problem. But I've also got friends who are in a scenario where they are in a relationship that they're unhappy in, but don't feel that they have a choice because they don't earn. Yeah. They have nowhere to go. If they did, they wouldn't be able to support themselves. They would have to rely on parents who are elderly. And that's not a great situation to be in either. Mm-hmm. because they feel that they've got no escape um and no way of escaping and it also then becomes potentially a control issue as well yeah um so well i earn it so i spend it, it and it's it's how you manage that and i think you're right in that in essence it has to be about communication mm-hmm. well and i think last time we talked you said something about or you were like it's not about stashing away money under the mattress <laughs> but it is i mean it's hard though to have that like to feel equal with your partner if you do feel that you're relying on them completely Mm -hmm. financially and for me I didn't I don't even like the idea of when I go to my husband or when he comes to me and says like can we spend this money right now I I almost say like well let's sit down together and decide if this is Mm -hmm. something we want to put money toward because it feels it feels weird to be the one that asks for it. And then it feels strange to be the one that's saying yes or no. Like, I don't want to be anyone's mother either that I'm in a relationship with. And I don't want to tell them like, no, 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 sweetie, not now. (laughs) Not until after dinner. (laughs) I know. And that's my, 
grandmother tells me this all the time that when my grandfather was working and she also had four kids, <laughs> um, that she would just say to him, and, you know, can I buy this? This is something I really want. And she has this particular story that has stayed with her for, I don't I guess 50 plus years now about this pair of shoes that she wanted. And they were blue shoes that she, I don't know, she just thought they were pretty. She saw them in a catalog and he, her husband would say to her, like, you know, not right now. We have to save a little more. We have to save a little more. And she said, she just, she stopped asking because she just felt bad. And this was like her one material thing that she desired that she still speaks about. And that I think is so powerful to me that it was like, she was raising four babies, but still felt that she needed that permission or didn't have that equal say. But I think that's because we undervalue that role. Yes. And I think as a society, <laughs> we undervalue that role of um, motherhood and of uh, raising children and how difficult it can be. And, you know, who knows, maybe with lockdown where people are actually, a couple are actually seeing that together and witnessing how difficult that can be. Maybe that would cause a bit of a shift. I don't know. Maybe it would be, you know, a, I couldn't possibly do this every day. I don't know how you do it. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm forever grateful. And I, I chose not to be a, a, a full-time mum. I chose not to be a, um, a mum who was there all the time because that for me wasn't a good fit. Right. Um, it may have been different if I didn't have my mum because I always treated my, my, for me, I always saw my mum as being the second best option to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I, if my kids were poorly, I knew I could leave them with my mum and that they would be as looked after and as happy with my mum as they would be with me. And they're still very close to her now, which is, which is lovely because they are very close to her even as, um, and they will remain close to her as adults. Um, but I think, I think part of that whole thing is that we, we very much undervalue and, and it's always that thing of, and it's always the argument I've had with friends who are in that situation. Where I've always been kind of like, yeah, but if you've decided that you're not going to go to work, mm. then you split his income. Right. Yeah, because that's what you're deciding. You're not deciding that he's going to have control over the finances and he's going to run everything and that he's earning it so it's his money to spend and you need permission. Mm-hmm. Because you are doing a really valuable job, a really valuable role that he doesn't want to do. that's fundamentally he doesn't want to do it that that would not be that would not be for him but you've decided that that's the right decision for you so realistically it's a it's a joint income Mm -hmm. because the input that you're giving it is the childcare that you provide for free right in effect um and everything else that goes with that because inevitably my friends who have been full-time mums they take care of the house they take care of the home they deal with all of the laundry all of the you know uh, making sure that the house is maintained and all those kinds of things they kind of take on that that whole list as well as caring for kids and doing all of those things at the same time um but i think i think the fundamental problem is that we don't see and my my mum's always said that my mum was a um a housewife Mm -hmm. yeah she hates the term housewife but that's what she was in that and you know when when we were growing up in my my brother was born in in 1966 and then my sister in 67 and i was born in 75 and when we are, um, when, when we talk, she was, she was a housewife. She did, she did work when she was younger and she has had jobs since part-time mm-hmm. jobs and little, she gave up a part-time job to look after my um, children for me, which is why I then paid her the equivalent of what she'd been earning. Um, so, you know, she, but she hates the term housewife because for her, it's kind of like, 
she, she even my mum has a vision of her in a little frilly apron and welcoming her husband home at the end of the day with yeah. you know three beautifully presented clean children ready for bed kind of thing that's that's her vision of it um because she hates she kind of hates that term and much she's also always been a little bit kind of like oh well I was just a housewife mm. I was like there's no just in there yeah. you know I don't say well I was just a operations manager right. well, I was just a director I was just a sales manager I said, so you shouldn't put a just in front of it, but that's, she, she's always kind of been, oh, no, no, you know, I was just a housewife. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that shouldn't be the case. But because my mum took care of everything else, my dad could go and earn a really good salary. And he was a, one of the youngest directors in the UK um, in the late 70s. He was a director before he was 30 of a big company in the, uh, based in London, but we lived in the Midlands. Um, but my mum being able to do that meant, meant that she moved away from her family. Yeah. So she moved down to a more central location where my dad had his own offices and all those kinds of things. There's no just about that. Yeah. But in my mum's mind, she's still kind of like, oh, I was, I was, well, yeah, but I was just a housewife. Yeah. And that, that language is so important. And well, that's the thing is that a lot of times we feel that, and I've said this probably in almost all of my podcast episodes at this point, but we feel that we have all this shame coming on to us from other people when really when you hear that language come out of your mouth I was just a housewife you realize that you're inflicting that shame on yourself so not only is society not seeing value in women who are home with their children it's that even if we are the ones doing it we don't feel as much value and I have written down I just reread this in a journal when I was home with our two babies, when my second was born and I had written like, all I want is a paycheck with my name on it. Like <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm home with the babies. I could just love on them all day, but I wanted so desperately to contribute financially. Mm. And I think that happens for a lot of women and it's for all different reasons. But I think that a lot of times they, you know, we're not voicing that and I'm kind of the same as you. I just never felt that strong pull to be with my babies 24 seven. I really don't. Um, my yeah, husband... and, it's, and there's always that thing is I, I kind of like, gosh, should I feel really guilty about that? And I probably did at the start where yeah. you're kind of thinking, why, why don't I want to be? And I, and I had a group of friends who um, I met when my eldest was six weeks old. So he turns 18 in September. So mm-hmm. we're coming up to our 18th anniversary as a group of mm-hmm. friends. Um, and we met through a um, charity in the UK called the National Childbirth Trust. We did a postnatal group together um, mm. and there was 10 of us in there. And there are four of us now who are still really close friends. Um, and we've kind of been through um, divorces. We've been through um, a breast cancer. One of, my, one of my friends from that group is a breast cancer survivor. Um, we've kind of been through all kinds of stuff over the last 18 years together. And they are very much my tribe of people and they are the tribe that I would go to if I ever needed anything and I know that if I called them now and said I need you desperately they would be here without even asking what I needed they would be here in a heartbeat which is um kind of absolutely amazing but I would I would you know some of those mums were um full-time mums um and I was kind of juggling work and doing 30 hours which is actually quite a bit more but um doing all of those things and then I was the first one to have a second child because I've got 22 months between number one and number two I was then the first one to have a third child um, in fact I think if I was the only one to have a third child let alone a third and then a fourth child um and it's and I and I would kind of I kind of look at them and think I couldn't do what you do and then I'd start thinking oh my god does that make me a bad mum because I don't want to be with my babies all day yeah um every day 
um, and that I want, I want, and it was kind of like, why should I want more? I felt like I was asking for more, but I wasn't actually, I was asking just for something different. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not about wanting more and it's not about wanting to have it all and to, you know, live a life where you have absolutely everything at all times and mm. you get to do everything you want to do. It's about deciding what's right for you and then making that work for your family. Yeah. Um, so it's about making a decision that you then have to live with. Mm. And I'm a, the, the, the thing for me is that you don't want to look back on it and feel ashamed when you look back on it. Yeah. Um, and I don't at all. At the time, I felt guilty about the fact that I went back to work. I felt guilty about the fact that I um, went back to work after two and three and four. And I actually went, went back to work full time after I'd had number four because there was an opportunity that I felt was too good to miss in terms of my career at the time. And um, so I went, actually went back to work um, full time with um, four children under eight, <laughs> which probably wasn't the wisest choice at the time. <laughs> But I did it. Um, but even now, it, and, and for me, it's, it's kind of like being able to look back and still be able to hold your head up high and say, actually, do you know what? I did what was right at that time. Even if you look back and think I would have done things differently mm-hmm. with hindsight, hindsight is a wonderful thing, but still being able to say, but I made that right decision for me, for us, for our family at that particular time. Right. Um, and it's being a, I guess it's, it's having that kind of, um, confidence and presence to be able to do that and that's not easy it's not something and I you know I still have moments now where I think oh god you know life would be so much easier if I didn't work but then actually I I need that work to be me as well as mum yeah for me that that was really important I could be that person and I could still be mum at the same time um and you know there, there have been occasions where I've thought where I've looked back and thought you know what that maybe wasn't the right choice but at the time it felt right Mm-hmm. And at the time, based on the information that I had, I made the right decision. Um, so even with things like going through a divorce, I always wanted to be able to walk away with my head held high and with a certain amount of dignity. Um, so I didn't want to get into the slanging matches and the screaming matches and the throwing bricks through windows and all of those things that I felt like I should do. Yeah. I, I didn't want to do because I knew that I would regret them later and I would regret them and not be able to defend them later as well, if that makes sense. Yeah. So kind of, if I'm ever making a big decision for the family, that's what I always kind of go through is, is okay, well, what, why am I, why do I feel the way that I feel? Mm. What is it that I'm making the decision based on? And then I kind of ask myself that little extra question. If I look back in 10 years time, am I going to want to beat myself up for this? Or am I going to be able to say, yeah, you made the right decision. Um, So I always kind of try and think in that sense because we're very critical of ourselves as women it's very easy to say yeah wrong decision wrong choice mm. you know not having enough faith in ourselves to be able to do something to yeah. be able to kind of make a step forward or to be able to change the way that we do things or to make a big change even um so it's um it's important for me that i'm my own sounding board when you're a single parent there are lots of decisions that you make all of the time that you have to be your own sounding board you can't say look what, what do you reckon what, what do you think about this and I can talk about it with my mum and dad and I can talk about it but yeah. fundamentally as a parent there are some decisions that you have to make you know whether that's um, letting girlfriends stay over because my kids mm-hmm. are a little bit older and you know when do you have the conversations with them about you know things like sex and all that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. all those kinds of things that you don't you don't have a sounding board for you kind of have to make that judgment call a lot um, but I all there's always that thing for me where I kind of think if I look back on this in five years or 10 years, am I going to 
really not be happy with myself for making that decision or am I going to be able to justify it yeah um as long as I can justify it then I can do it but if not then I'll have a rethink yeah I love that and the fact that you kind of separate your feelings you're saying like am I making this decision based on fear or anger or and I that's actually what I play through in my own mind when I'm decision making is okay if I'm at a crossroads what is the most loving way I can approach this I mean, even if it's little, like, even if I'm just nagging kind of with my husband about something small, is to say, like, is this fight over the dishes, right? <laughs> is, is this based in annoyance? <laughs> mm -hmm. Probably. And what is the most loving way I can move forward? And even if it, it doesn't come out as the best decision, like you said, at least 10 years later, you can look back that it was a morally sound, loving based in the best information that you had decision yeah no and it's it's about thinking back at it in, in terms of that time and i'm i'm and the stupid thing is, is i'm a i'm a big believer that's what's happened has happened you can't change that right. you can change the way it makes you feel and you can change the way that you treat that as a lesson to be able to move forward mm -hmm. and i think probably out of my divorce that was the one of the biggest lessons that came out of that for me was not to and it took me it took me a long time but not to dwell on well, I can't believe this happened and that happened. And there are moments even now where, um, you know, kind of um, 13 years later, I'm still, there are still times where I kind of think, in fact, 15 years later, where I kind of think, this is not, yeah, this is just, this is just not right. If I know it's not 15 years, it's 10 years. What am I talking about? It's 10 years. <laughs> um, but it's, there are, there are times where I sit and I think, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe that, that I was treated in that way. I can't believe all of those things. Yeah. But, those episodes become shorter and shorter and shorter because you have to kind of you have to kind of be able to say well what's happened has happened mm -hmm. so I can sit and I can dwell on it for longer I can recognize it as thank you I've recognized that and move on yeah. um, or you can say right okay well what would I do differently now how why am I thinking about that now what's made me think about that that is maybe means I'm unhappy in another way mm -hmm. that's actually triggered me into that scenario yeah. um, and it's, but it's, I, I probably would never have done that or not in the same way. Maybe I would have, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, I was a, I was a very different person to the person I am now. Um, so maybe it's not just about what happened, but about how I've grown, how I've changed, how I've um, become a, a different person in lots of different ways. But it is that, there, there is that thing in just being able to say, you can't change what's happened. The past is the past. Yeah. It's as simple as that. And don't get me wrong, you know, there were lots of there were a lot of people who who have had really got really traumatic pasts, and I I understand fully why they can be really difficult to get over. But you can't change it, and it's it's a little bit like worrying about the future. If you you worry about the future, you're going to get the same. You're going to get a result no matter what you do, whether you worry or don't worry. You're going to get a result. Yeah. Um. So it's and and there's there's always that kind of thing as well. Is it's that. Almost, and I, I'm not a big believer in kind of a manifestation. I'm not a massive believer in, well, if I dream I'm going to win the lottery, often enough I'm going to win the lottery. Yeah. yeah. Because we would all be lottery winners if that was the case. But I am a big believer that how you behave and how you portray yourself can have an impact mm. on what you, uh, what, what you ultimately end up living with. Right. So if you go into a room full of people thinking nobody's going to like me, they're all going to think I'm, you know, X, Y, and Z, all these different things. They, they're all going to think that nobody's going to want to be friends with me. Yeah. Then you will come out of that room with no friends. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, and that's pretty much a definite. Even if somebody makes the effort to come and talk to you, 
you're still going to walk away with that negative feeling of nobody wanted to talk to me. So with like networking and things like that, when you're trying to build a business, face-to-face mm-hmm. -face networking can be brilliant. But if you go into it thinking these people are not my customers and I can't sell, yeah. you will not meet a single customer while you're there. Yeah. It's just as simple as that because that is what you project to some degree. Right. Same as, and I think, I think that's the case in, in lots of relationships as well. So like you were saying about when you're annoyed about the dishes, mm -hmm. I, I kind of always, there's always that thing of, yeah, do you know what? I am completely annoyed about the dishes. But actually, if I let that annoyance show now, we'll probably have an argument tomorrow about something completely irrelevant because yeah. I've let that annoyance come out now. Yeah. Because I've kind of gone, and it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, uh, with my ex-husband, if I, if I thought we're going to have an argument when I see him, we'd have an argument. Yeah. You'll find something. Kind of, oh. Yeah. Like, oh. We were both thinking we're going to argue about something. So you end up arguing about something. Um, <laughs> So there's, you know, but I, I think I, as I said, I'm not, I, I'm not a big, big believer in the whole manifestation thing, but I do think that the way that you feel about something can affect an outcome of something, mm. not in terms of, you know, if you, if you go for tests because you're sick, you can't make yourself better by doing that. But when you're talking about human emotions, human behavior, human contact, um, that can make a really big difference. So even with my, with my kids, I do get angry with them. Of course I do. I've got four boys. <laughs> testosterone flies in this house um so i do get angry with them occasionally um i have been known to completely blow a top and have to go outside to calm down um because my head's about to literally spin off my head if i'm spin off my shoulders i'm not careful of course i have you know um i'd be lying if i said that everything was was sunshine and daisies every day because it's not um but when there's a really big thing to do i try and sit down and talk to them mm. And I, I, we go in, go in the car for a drive. So I can't get upset because I'm driving. They know that there's an end point somewhere because we're driving to somewhere. So yeah. they know that there's an end point. They don't have to look at me. Mm. Um, and my kids now kind of know if I say to them, like, do you want to come for a drive up to you? Nan's with me. Or do you want to come for a drive wherever? They're like, God, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, what have I done? Um, oh, what does mum want to talk to me about? <laughs> um, but it, it just works for us. And it's the only time that I'm likely to get one of them on their own as well. Because having a conversation with one of them when the other three are earwigging at the door or whatever isn't going to yeah, always work. That's such a good idea for older children, especially. I mean, I've noticed that with my husband when we're going on a drive, like for a date night, that we almost have a better time and like stronger communication when we're on the drive to our dinner than when we're actually having when we get to dinner we'd like talk about the children again mm -hmm. but it, there is something about not like having to look directly at the person where you can be a little more vulnerable and yeah um, definitely be a little more receptive as well less yeah. defensive to, <laughs> to what's coming at you yeah definitely and i think i think there is i don't know i don't know why why that is or even on a walk because the walk's the same when you're both yeah. kind of facing forward so a, um, a walk very often crops up in my house as well yeah. i walk the dog every day anyway but if i if i'm kind of like no you you need to come with me today yeah then it's like oh, alarm bells ringing <laughs> um, but it works for us and it, it kind of works for us as a as a as a family and if for no other reason then you know if it was just the two of us in the house we could sit down but there's very rare that I have them on their own right. I do tr I do try and do that um so I try and have a weekend with each one of them on their own mm. um I found it much easier with one and four than I have with two and three just because of time constraints and um that what they wanted to do just didn't quite fit in with the with the schedule but mm -hmm. um I do try and get 
individual time with them but when you when you're a single mum that's quite difficult yeah so then what are you doing for work right now are you because of the lockdown are you working from home yeah i'm working from home i do um i've worked from home for about a decade anyway so um working from home is fairly normal for me but last year i took on a small office so it's not particularly very expensive but it is a just a small office where I, i needed to move around the house because I've got a very small upstairs and a very large downstairs. So um, I needed to bring a bedroom downstairs so that I could split the bedrooms a little bit more equally, which then meant I left an I lost an office in effect. So I have got an office that I work there, but because I work in digital marketing, I can pretty much work wherever I need to. Yeah. So whether that's doing webinars, as long as I've got an internet connection, which mm-hmm. The internet's been a bit wonky over the last couple of months. Um, but as long as I've got an, an internet connection, then I can, I can do, I can work and I can do work. Um, and I, I'm always, I, because, because I, I need that flexibility. Yeah. I kind of, I'm always moving my time and my work time around. So if I need time during the day, because I need to do something with the boys or I need to, you know, take take one of them to the doctors or to a hospital appointment or whatever that is then I'll take that back in the evening for work so it's not ideal because I don't want to be sat every night laptop working that's not that's not ideal either but that allows me to be more flexible because sometimes I need that flexibility during the day to be able to do that um and again doing doing what I do I can I can do things at more unusual times Mm -hmm. to be able to take that time somewhere else um to be able to kind of still be a mum still work still earn an income um rather than having to you know i don't i'm not suddenly losing the office and i can still i have still used my office for some recordings Mm -hmm. and for, for some of the work and some of the longer webinars that i've done i've done a couple of live streams recently where there's been kind of like 250 people I can't do that with the risk of the dog barking and the kids yeah. <laughs> hearing in the background because they haven't realised mum's recording. So I can't, I can't do those. So I have used the office for those, but it's, it's completely isolated. Mm. Um, there's nobody else in the building at the moment. It's just me. So, um, and it, it's, it's my space so I can do what I want. Yeah. Is this the work that you were doing um, while you were still married or after the divorce did your work change? You kind of took on a new um it's not what I did when I was married but not because I got divorced I didn't change it because I got divorced if that makes sense so (laughs) about five years ago I still carried on doing the the work that I was doing I was in franchise management um and um I was responsible for the UK I I had about 110 franchises under me at one point um but I was made redundant from that position because they were moving the head office um to bristol which is 150 miles away from here and i wasn't prepared to uproot me and my four kids find new schools and not be near my parents who are my childcare support and are my strongest supporters um so and i'd be moving them away from their dad as well which i didn't think was fair so i took redundancy package and have worked for myself since as a digital marketing trainer um training businesses to be able to use digital marketing to grow and to develop their business um, but over the last couple of years, my focus has changed quite a lot. So I've changed from working with, I do still work with some big corporates. So some mm-hmm. high street names and some um, well-known businesses. Um, but I work, work, I love working with small businesses. Yeah. So your micropreneurs, your mumpreneurs. And I think part of it is being able to kind of like, um, almost like pass it forward mm-hmm. in that I know, 
I know a lot of things that people could be doing that would actually make their help their business to grow. And I see people doing stuff and spending loads of time on digital marketing and they just, it's because they just don't understand what they should be doing to get the most benefit out of it. Um, And over the course of the last couple of months, I've been working on my own new business, um, which had been planned and then lockdown kind of happened. (laughs) Nobody really saw it coming, I guess. So I'm still working on that um, with a view to um, hopefully launching it in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. and that's kind of a mix of download, uh, live groups, support, one-to-ones, um, and all that kind of stuff, but aimed specifically at female-led small businesses. Um, I do work with men, but my branding is quite female, and um, I tend to work uh, with, with more female businesses. And I also, I also own, a net, own a networking company as well, so I've got eight networking groups. I co-own that with one of my um, colleagues. Um, and we run eight face-to-face meetings across the Midlands in the UK, but that's obviously had to all go online. Yeah. So that I run that alongside the two, as well as still doing speaking work. So I do speaking and training work for another company who I work on a freelance basis for. Um, so it's kind of the, the way I always describe my life. In fact, one, I've, I've got a big plaque up in my lounge that says, um, you call it chaos, we call it family. Yeah. Uh, because one of my best friends who is, um, she's not married, she has, no, she has no children, but she kind of looks at my life and almost has a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> she just doesn't, I, I, my diary, I use a handwritten diary. I, I, was... I work, I live in digital, but I, I have a handwritten diary that I yeah. have all of my ex-husband's teaching days in there. So I know when he can't, he's a, he's a trainer and, and teacher as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know when he can't have the children. Um, I know when my mum's diary is in terms of when, I might need to look for help somewhere else. Yeah. I have all of mine in there. I have, um, I have a, a partner, Ian, who's, um, who has his children every other weekend. So I've got his weekends in there. So I know when he's free and when, when I'm free and yeah. we try and coordinate those. Um, so there's, there, there's all of those things. I have my son's work hours in there. I have, um, and I try and plan ahead as much as possible because all of those things kind of have to fit together. Yeah. And the, the only way I can describe it is, it is, is every week is like putting together a jigsaw puzzle. I can imagine. I feel like you would get down to like, okay, these 10 minutes are when I have to shower. Otherwise I can't, <laughs> or there's no time. Yeah, there I'm are so, some days like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm so impressed that you're on paper. I switched to a digital calendar last year mm. and I actually don't even have that much going on now that you've told me everything that you're doing. But even that, it's so helpful to have like my husband can check the calendar and see like, okay, I can work late this night, but not this night because Erica's doing an interview or yeah. I can't imagine I was going to ask, like, I would love to see what your planning <laughs> looks like. Yeah, no, my, my diary is always, and everything goes in pencil because things can move <laughs> yeah. and things can shift. So I have a pen, I am literally, and I, I, you know, I work in digital. It is, it is insane. I work in digital and I have a shared calendar with my ex-husband yeah. and I have a shared calendar with my um, partner. And um, I'm always kind of, me and my mum literally sit with diaries side, side by side yeah. and she'll kind of say, oh, you know, I'm supposed to be going to see like her girlfriends for uh, an afternoon tea or something somewhere. Mm-hmm. Can I do pick up? Yep, not a problem. Pick up goes in my diary. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's all of those things that um, I kind of juggle all the time, yeah. but they just seem to fit. And there, don't, there, there are times when I, I sit there and I think that I, you know, I don't sleep 
I don't I don't need a huge amount of sleep either to be honest I haven't since I had my eldest son um and but I I and there are some times where I just need to get off the wheel completely so I need to step away and not do anything for a couple of days so you know I'll take a weekend away or I'll do something um when my you know when my kids are with their with their dad or I'll do something like that not not very often but and I try and make time for my partner within that as well obviously yeah I think one of the one of the the things for me that is always I always try and make my time as much as I can is a walk with the dog yeah so I have a dog she needs exercise she's Mm -hmm. a um she's only four and a half so she needs or nearly five now but she needs she needs exercise she's in the prime of her dog Mm -hmm. years if you like Mm -hmm. Um, so she she needs exercise to keep her trim and to keep her fit um but that's and I, what I what, what I used to do when before lockdown was my I'd take my son to school in the morning and then I would walk the dog for three quarters of an hour an hour I could do kind of about three miles in that time yeah and that that is my these are the things I have to do today mm-hmm. these are the things I'd like to get done today and I'm kind of thinking right well if I if I do that till 11 then I know I've got a meeting at 12 and I need to just do an hour's prep for that. Um, or I've got a webinar in the afternoon. So I need to make sure that I've prepped for that either a couple of days before. So my, my diary is literally those little jigsaw puzzle pieces that all fit together. Um, but it just, it works for us. It works for me. Um, I find it the easiest way to manage my time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it kind of works. <laughs> It's it's, it does look like chaos to anybody else so if you're on the outside i get that yeah right. I, I i understand why my friend looks at it and kind of thinks no i yeah. couldn't do that and she, she'll take a glimpse of my diary and she's like don't show me that ever again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that's funny so okay i want to just talk a little bit more about the work that you do because i think that this option of working digitally is so important for moms that like they want to do work that fulfills them and that's how I ended up doing work online as well it's like you want that time away from your children but you want slash need the flexibility of showing up for them when you need to and so I think this is a really good way for moms to shift that in between between going back to corporate career and being full-time stay-at-home mom so you mentioned that you are enjoying supporting small businesses mom-run businesses right now so what would you say to a mom who is kind of at the point where she'd like to do more what is that first step if you have a business idea and you'd like to bring it to the online space um I'd say first of all is to make sure that it's something that you are passionate about because when you're trying to fit it around something else if it isn't something that you really believe in or if it isn't something that you really love doing you're not going to develop it because it it becomes just another chore you have to do and something else that you have to deal with so I'd say is, is definitely is to try and identify something that you feel really passionate about mm-hmm. and that you don't then resent giving the time to it as much either so when you're trying to, when you are doing that juggle and you've got plates spinning, that will be the first place to plate to drop if it's something that you, you don't want to do. Um, and it also becomes, so if it's something just to earn money, mm-hmm. I appreciate that sometimes you may find yourself in that situation, but if it's something just to earn a little bit of extra money, I'd rethink it. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of if you found something that you're passionate about and there's something that you want to do, to take it online, you need to understand your audience. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. So you absolutely have to know who it is that is going to be your ideal customer, whether you want to call that um, an avatar, an ideal customer, ICA, whatever you want to call them. I, for me, they're a super customer. So they're that person who you really want to work with, who you've loved working with in the past and that's maybe sparked this idea as to what you could turn it into a more profitable business. That it's those people who you need to understand them because if you understand them, then you start to understand how you can contact them digitally. Mm-hmm. So do they need to, do they hang out on Facebook? Do they hang out on Instagram? Do they respond well to emails? Do they, um, you know, is it somebody who you're driving traffic through? If it's something that you make and you sell, or if it's something that you simply sell because you've got this great idea about it and how you can sell something differently. Um, and I know quite a few small businesses who do really well kind of selling a collection of other people's things, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So there's a really great company called um, Don't Buy Her Flowers, where they kind of create gift hampers together from lots of different suppliers. Cool. But they don't make anything or manufacture anything. Right. Um, but once you if you don't understand who your audience is and you can't price you can't um you can't decide where you need to be you can't have conversations with people you if you don't understand who your audience is the whole thing starts to feel a little bit wobbly Mm. um and the vast majority of businesses that i work with where they are struggling a little bit with digital marketing because they seem to be doing loads on Facebook, but nothing's happening or loads on Instagram or um, their emails aren't converting or whatever that is, is I can, I'll probably say 90% of those businesses. It's because they don't fully understand who their customer is. Yeah. So once you know your customer, you can speak in their language, you can create the content that they're going to enjoy. You know where they hang out, you know um, why they react the way that they do to what it is that you do and what you can offer them you know their pain points and their pressure points so you understand how you can help them and and how you can then frame what you do so for me the best sellers are the ones who don't sell but they convince you that they need it that you need it and they solve a problem for you right um but if you don't if you don't understand that then the content's a little bit off so it doesn't engage mm-hmm. the um design doesn't quite fit right because it doesn't it's not really right for your audience yeah so it's um it's all of those things that um that then feeds into um and i think the the other thing as well in terms of being passionate about something and understanding who your audience is that's the quickest way to make it work for you Mm -hmm. so if you then start having to barter for extra time in terms of maybe paying for some childcare or um, relying maybe more heavily on a partner or a you know husband in a relationship mm-hmm. it's easier to justify it then as well yeah i'm not saying you should have to but in your own <laughs> mind you understand the value of it more because it's it's you're passionate about it so it adds value to it you're you know who your audience is so they're already starting to engage with you already starting to buy from you mm-hmm. um so it uh, it kind of creates that whole relationship um that then builds into customers yeah Amazing. So if then a woman has kind of started an online business and she would like a little support, are you taking on new clients at this time? Yeah, I I am. Um, My my whole website is built. Um, I've been building it over the course of the last few weeks. I literally started as we went into lockdown. So my website is built. My content is all being put together. I'm I'm one of, I I work with people in a couple of different ways. So I do what I call a digital success audit, Mm -hmm. which is uh, me looking at where you are now digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at how you're being found, um, trying to identify off that who your customer is and doing quite a bit of research and then spending an hour with somebody 
where during that hour, I tell you what I found, what that tells me about you as a business. And then if that doesn't match, there's a problem somewhere. If it does match, we can come up with an action plan as to how you can improve it. If it doesn't match, then we can look at why that doesn't match. What are the problems? What are the, you know, where, where, where is it potentially falling apart? Um, so we can kind of try and build that together. So I work on a, I work on that basis. I work on a a one-to-one, um, consultancy ongoing consultancy basis where somebody can pay for you know whatever time they want of mine throughout the month um but then i'm also doing two separate things i'm doing something called uh, my business is called focus your future Mm -hmm. um i'm doing focus academy and focus bite size and focus bite size is small downloads so completely pick uh, pick a mix so if you think you're really good at instagram but you don't get pinterest but you know your audience are on there you can do an advanced instagram and a basic pinterest course Mm -hmm. yeah so it's it's very pick and mix you don't have to do the whole thing you can pick as many or as few as you want but i'm also doing focus academy which is a six-week course um so that's um you commit to six weeks every week that includes a download and a, a short video and then um exclusive access to a Facebook group with that cohort of students at the same time. And then that involves me, Q and A's, um, a live a week, um, Q and A's throughout the week. Um, and you kind of get my support for those six weeks, but as part of a group support system. So it might not be me supporting it, it might be somebody else supporting you. Because one of the things that I'm, I'm not, and I, you know, I'm on social media a lot. So I see it a lot kind of, you know, these, I can teach you the three secrets to get, hundred thousand followers yeah. yeah i went from zero followers to two million mm-hmm. followers you can do the same i'm not that person mm-hmm. um i'm not i'm not that because i i personally believe that that is very often down to personality yeah. or it can be down to personality um what i am though is i'm the person who will teach you um what it can do why you need to do it how you can do it so that you can make a decision whether you want to do it or you want to give it to somebody else to do yeah so if you just don't like Facebook, but you know your customers are on there, if you know why you need to do it and you know what it is you need to be doing and you understand it, you can then brief somebody to do that for you rather than waste money on somebody doing something where neither one of you really gets it. Yeah. You don't really understand it. So my, my academy approach, my, my courses are all about that. It isn't about a quick fix because I don't believe there is one for the majority of us. Um, it's about helping people get over the, the confidence barrier in terms of I'm really scared to put something on Facebook because what if I get it wrong or what if my audience don't like it what if I get negative comments so we deal with all of those kinds of things and it, it, as much as my course is about digital marketing it's also about helping business women to improve their confidence mm. in how they appear in a digital sense yeah um and helping them to understand the value. So, you know, understanding your helping to helping them to identify their customer. Where do they hang out? Where do they need to be? Uh, what does that look like? Um, and the, 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 there's two questions I always ask. One is um, what do you want to achieve? Mm-hmm. Yes. What is it you're trying to do it for? And then what does success look like to you? And mm-hmm. that's a really personal yeah. answer. So it might be more financial freedom. It might be, um, that you just need something else yeah you need an additional income you need to be able to earn money it might be um you know any number of different things that i've i've been out of the work i've been out of work for four years and i need to do something now that gets me back into the game and gets me mm-hmm. you know back to where i feel more comfortable because i feel like i've lost myself a little bit so it could be any number of reasons and there's there are always different answers and i never ask people to give me those but i always for me that's a really important one what does success look like to you and not just what does it look like but how does that feel mm. If you had that, what would that feel like? 
what would that give you in terms of confidence, personality, yeah. reach, all of those things. Um, so it is about digital marketing, but inevitably as well, there's some smaller support there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the cat now joining me. <laughs> very noisy cat who's just come through the cat flap and meowing very loudly in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of what I do. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of open. Um, yeah. but, um, I will be launching my course structure in the next couple of weeks. I'm, I'm literally working on that next week. I have a deadline to get that onto the website next week. Amazing. And I'll definitely, um, if you send me over like links to your website, we can put that in the show notes as well. Well, thank you. Thank you. I hope you have a good night. Yes. And you I enjoy and the rest of your day. We'll and, talk- uh, yeah, it's been lovely meeting you. Very nice. Very Thanks lovely. so much. You too, Amy. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.